All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump in now. I want you to uh, raise your hand if you have ever used that Nextdoor app. Raise, raise your hand, Nextdoor app. Raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. Some neighborhoods, not all neighborhoods, I guess, some neighborhoods have this app called Nextdoor. And what it does, like you download this app, you put your address in, and it kind of syncs you up with all of your neighbor. In the old days, you used to walk next door. Now you got an app for that, right? And so you've got this app, and what it does is like all of a sudden, if I look outside, my trash is still there. I can go to my app, and I can look and go, oh, it's 4th of July. They don't run on the 4th of July, right? My neighbors help me out a little bit. So two weeks ago, literally two weeks ago, I'm on the app when I saw this page. Some of you at the back, you won't be able to read this. It says, Watch your little dogs. Now, I have a big dog. I don't have a little dog. He's 70 pounds worth a poodle. Like he's, I got a big dog. You know, and it says an osprey or a hawk came swooping down. I love the word choice, swooping. Like it just, like I'm, I'm picturing this now. This big bird came swooping down, almost got my Maltese dog. I gasped whenever I read that. I almost got your Maltese. That's horrible. It says, my husband happened to be looking out the window and yelled. Our dog just happened to be peeing on a bush. I should edit that for the third service. <laughs> I didn't even think of that after the first. Anyway, it says, I, I don't think that the bird could get a good grab at the dog. Feeling so thankful nothing happened. Union Lake and Wise Roads are our crossroads just so you know. So right away, I'm thinking, this is an emergency, right? It is an emergency. We got killer birds trying to get to our dogs. And so I love how helpful our neighbors are. Look at this next comment. Helpful neighbors. Unfortunately, they're called birds of prey for a reason. Thank you, <laughs> empathetic neighbor. But not all the neighbors uh, have that empathetic nature. Uh, we do have some encouraging neighbors. Read this one. This encouraging neighbor said, Sure wish they would visit here for about a week, get the chipmunk population down, and then politely move on. <laughs> you know, because that's how they work. They're like, oh, oh, you need some help over here? I'm going to ignore the Maltese. I'm going for the chipmunks, you know. And this last page, I know there's a lot on here. <laughs> Our scientist says, how many pounds is the Maltese? You know, they're getting ready to break it down. And then the next person helping out, well, they're capable of taking lambs. Because we have so many lambs running around Waterford, Michigan, you know, and... <laughs> And medium-sized dogs and cats will go for the easiest available, but I was out with my 80-pound dog, and I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's bigger than my dog. I was out with my 80-pound dog on a leash, which they're like, just so you know, we're being safe. And then a hawk or a juvenile bald eagle or a cooper's hawk is too, they said too high to tell. I think they meant too hard to tell. Swoop down. Again, we have some swooping going on. Swoop down and screech. Please be careful. And then I just want to skip down to the very last person because I'm like, and this is my, I have trouble paying attention neighbor. I recently saw a bald eagle in Novi. Magnificent. We're not talking about bald eagles. What are you doing here? <laughs> You're trying to hijack the thread. And so... As I'm reading through this, I'm just shaking my head going, where did I move to in Michigan? This place is magical. Like, I love this. And it reminded me a year ago last summer, so it's been a little bit of time, we went over to Andy and Hillary Boyer's house for dinner. And as we went, it was summertime. So it was beautiful. They showed me the pond and showed me here's all the trees we planted. Look what we did to the house. But that really wasn't the pride and joy. Here's the pride and joy. The chickens. Man, talk about pampered. He's blow-drying his chicken. Like, so I, I asked Andy, I did. I'm like, Andy, can you just send me some pictures, buddy? Of he, sent me, wait, he sent me a video where they were dressed up like Michigan, Michigan State. His chickens <laughs> running around. Anyone have chickens? 
Like, or you have in the past even. Raise a hand. In your freezer. Yeah, no, that's me. I love chicken. Like chicken parmesan, fried chicken, rotisserie chicken. I love all the chickens. I love eggs. I love omelets, you know. So, yeah, I'm all about the chickens. Me too. <laughs> Let's look at the next picture. So, here we see what happens when you blow dry your chicken. This really is real. This is your chicken. It is a real chicken. The next one, that is a real chicken. So, here we have, you don't do this with hawks. You don't do this with eagles. You don't let them just cuddle up with the kids in your house, on the couch. Talk about pampered lifestyle. But this next one, yeah, eating watermelons. You know, it's a rough day in the summertime when you're at the Boyer house. So notice the chickens. They got, they got poochy little bellies and wee little wings. They're not flying anywhere. They got big feet. You don't go wild chicken hunting, do you? No, because Hillary and Andy are going to feed you watermelon. That's why you don't go live in the wild. But look at this picture. Here we go. This is Andy building the run for the chicken. And we actually spent a lot of time talking about this. Because he's like, no, Billy, you got to be careful. You've got your chicken coop. That's the little house thing, right? The chicken coop is the house. So you got the chicken coop. And like he has gone to town in there. And he's like, we got heaters in there for the winter. And we got this and we got that. And you got this chicken run where they can go walk around and do chickeny things, you know. And then he, he, he surrounds this thing with the wire. But it's also the floor and it's also the roof. And he said, you have to be so careful. See, it's not just the coyotes that can come get them. You're talking a skunk, a weasel, the hawks will get them. You have to be so, so careful with your chicken. Friday night, he was even telling me that one time he came home and there was a small little hole up in the, the roof up there and they had, like a hawk had come in and was stomping around the yard. The chickens all ran inside the house, right? They all ran in the chicken coop. And when he pulled up, he's like, well, that's the biggest chicken I've ever seen. And then he realized, like, oh, that's not a chicken in there. And so he had to get the hawk out and patch it all up. Here's where I'm going with one more, I think. There's one more picture. Yeah, Andy working hard, taking care of the chickens. They love him. Here's, here's where I'm going with all this. I think sometimes, I think sometimes in life we look at ourselves like we're, we're chickens running around, right? In this, I think we, we act like we're chickens running around like, well, I'm just this. I'm just a chicken. But if, if I could get up there, if I could be a hawk, then everyone would see me. You know, I'd be something. If I, could write, if I could write the right message, it would do something as a pastor. If I could watch the right TED Talk as a person, if I could get the right job, get the right boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, if I could get the 2.2 kids, then, man, then I would mean something. In life. I think that's what we do. I think we act like I would have this heart of thanksgiving on a week like this, a heart of contentment. I think I would find satisfaction and joy in life if only I could. And yet, the reality is some of you, you did go to that school, whatever that school is, right? You went there. And some of you, that job, whatever that job is, you've got that job. And that car, like maybe it's like the Elon Musk car, you know, the unbreakable one, unless you throw a baseball out the window and then all bets are off, you know, it's going to shatter. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just type in new Tesla truck and watch the baseball hitting the unbreakable window. It's pretty amazing. And I know I'm making fun, but like if you get one, I want to ride just so you know, like I want to go, I really do. I want to go for a ride. Like it's weird looking. It's like a big doorstop is kind of what it reminds me. Anyway, that's not even important. I think sometimes we think if I get this thing, whatever this thing is, if I accomplish whatever this thing is, then I can have thanksgiving. Then I can have joy. Then I can have contentment. But some of you, you have all of that. And you've learned that even though I have this life, 
that's not where you find contentment. It's not it. And so you're in this place of still searching for more. Another way to say that is chicken or hawk both can leave you feeling like you still need something more. So the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is where does that place of joy come from? Where does real joy and thanksgiving really come from? And guys, I know it's so foundational, but here's the big idea today. The big idea is that we find true joy through faith. We find true joy through faith. Again, good morning. I am Billy. I'm the campus pastor here. And normally, just so you know, all 14 campuses preach the exact same message on a Sunday. This Sunday is a little bit different. This Sunday, all 14 campuses, they said before we go into the Christmas season, campus pastors preach what you feel. Like you get one Sunday. And so this message is different than what the rest are preaching. But just know that next week, we'll be right back on track with everyone all together in our Christmas series. Which means we have a lot of work to do here, don't we? Because you look around, it doesn't look like Christmas right now, but by next week, it is, if you've never seen this place at Christmas, it is awesome. Like, it is going to be fantastic. But I need your help. If you can come back after the third service and help decorate, we're going to pull out all the trees, pull out all the lights, and get it all up. It should only take a few hours to knock it all out. I, I would ask you to stay, but the one thing I'm going to ask is high school and above. And the reason I'm doing that is just with little ones, we're going to have ladders and heavy boxes and things falling. And I just hate for anyone to get hurt. And so let's try to keep it high school and above. We'll provide food. I don't know if we're doing pizzas or sandwiches or what we're doing, but we will have some food here. Join us following the third service. Let's take our Bibles now. Open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11. As you're turning there, let me set the stage. This is a story you're all familiar with. To understand Philippians 3, you really got to go back to Acts 16. Right in Acts 16, if you remember, Paul's going along and he has this dream, right? And the Lord's like, I want you to go over here. And so Paul goes over here. This is like the way, way fast version. Paul goes over here. And when he goes over here, he meets this woman named Lydia. Right, Lydia is selling purple cloth, this very expensive purple cloth. She's probably a person of wealth, thinking that she's all up here, right? But what she finds is she finds Christ. She places her faith in Jesus. She's baptized. That's important because she's the first Christian recorded in Scripture in all of Europe, which then, if you keep following the story, is how the gospel came to Romeo, Michigan, right? That's, that's how the gospel got here. It started with Lydia. So then Paul and Silas are going along. They're telling people about Jesus. People get mad. They strip Paul and Silas down. They beat them, and then they imprison them. Remember this story? They're in prison. And so fast forward, I'm going to give you, again, way fast version. It's midnight. What are Paul and Silas doing at midnight, church? Singing praises to the Lord, aren't they? They're singing songs of him. Now, it's not because they're naive. See, they're not, they're not fake happy. Have you seen people do that? Well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to act like I'm happy, but things are not good right now, right? Well, they're not trying to fake some kind of weird happiness. That's not, there's joy. They have joy in that moment, and they're singing praises to the Lord, well, again, the fast version is, then the, the jail cell pops open, the jailer, all this scene, Paul and Silas end up going down the road, right? And as they go down the road, you still have believers now in Philippi. The believers continue to grow and to flourish and continue to grow in the Lord. As Paul's going, they're so excited about the work that Paul is doing, they're like, hey, let's 
write him a check. They didn't have checks. I'm going to write him a check, and I'm going to send Paul a check to support him in the ministry. So Paul gets this money, and he is just blown away with Thanksgiving. He's like, I want to write this letter to thank them for what they've done. That's what Philippians is all about, right? That's, that's the setting for how it starts. And then Paul does this like he normally does. He's like, I know I was writing for this purpose, but while I have you on the line, let's talk about something else. You've got these Judaizers. Man, you've got these people, and they're coming in, and they're, they're Christians, but what they're trying to teach you is that you're down here. You're these lowly new converts, so if you want to be up here, if you want to be a hawk, if you want to be a hawk in life, then what you're going to need to do is it's going to be Jesus plus follow these Jewish rules and traditions. It's going to be Jesus plus follow these Jewish customs. And if you follow these customs, then you're really going to be holy. Then you're really going to be doing the right thing. So it's going to be Jesus plus these other Jewish customs and traditions. And that's where Paul says, I, I need to clear this up a little bit. And that's where we're going to jump in. Verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." So Paul has accomplished so much here. And he's writing to a people who keep hearing, we're up here and you're down here. If you want to be where we are, here are the things you're going to do. And Paul says, I want you to know, before I address that issue, I'm not writing this out of a place of envy. I'm not writing this because I'm jealous of where they are. In fact, if you want to compare resume for resume, let's do that. Let's start with the flesh. Because he says there's four things that I have in the flesh that can't be questioned. Number one, look what he says. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This was in accordance with Leviticus 12.3. So what he's saying here is just like the families that stood up here just a moment ago. And they said, we're committing to raise our children in the Lord. Right? This would have been a Jewish family saying, from the time a child is born, we are committed. By day eight, we are showing how in line with the law that we are. And so Paul's quite literally saying, from the day I was born, this has been my way. He said, I was born the people of Israel, which means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have them as my forefathers. The covenant with God, I share in that covenant. And then he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. This, this is big. He's saying, I'm part of the tribe that's distinguished. I'm part of the tribe that's set apart. The tribe of Benjamin, this is where the first king over all of Israel came from, the tribe of Benjamin. 
When the, when the nation of Israel split into two groups, you had the northern kingdom and you had Judah, he's saying, I was part of faithful Judah. In fact, when it comes to Judah, within the walls of Jerusalem, you find the tribe of Benjamin. He said, that's who I'm aligned with. He said, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Do you see that? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Do you know how big that is right there? Here's why that's big. The people who are reading this, the Judaizers who see this, they understand that you have Jerusalem. That is the epicenter of Judaism. And then over the years, you have seen this spread as, as, as the, the Jews have continued to spread out to all the known world as they, they've spread out. Eventually, they're over here. And this particular group, where they're at, they're in a very Greek culture. And being in this Greek culture, those even who are born as Jews in this area, oftentimes as the men would get older, they would try to undo some of their Jewishness to fit in more. In fact, there were some who were practicing trying to physically alter their circumcision so that they could show up to the Roman baths and be looked at not as Jewish men, but just be looked at as men of the culture. And Paul's saying, hey, we can talk about birthright because you're not going to get a better resume than what I have. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the authentic. I'm the real deal. You act like, oh, we're the hawks. Man, you're looking up at me. And it almost seems like Paul's a little puffed up right here, doesn't it? But then look at what he does. I mean, this, this is fantastic what he does here. Like after that mic drop, he keeps going. And he says, all of those things, that's in the flesh. I didn't choose that. That's just on who my family is. That's the border I was born into. That's not even me. Let's talk about my own convictions. Let's talk about the law. And he says, I, I was a Pharisee. Do you see that? When he says he was a Pharisee, he's saying I was part of a very select group. Theologians have said there was never more than 6,000 Pharisees. He's part of this group. This is the group that said we love the law so much. We love the Lord so much and the law that we're going to look at every little detail of the law, and we're going to follow it all. And then he says, I was a persecutor of the church. That's the next thing he said. And that's important because in that culture, it was a Greek culture. The normal way to deal with things is you're going to talk about your thoughts. You're going to talk about your thought. We're all going to sit in a circle. We're going to talk about it. He said, I didn't talk about it. I put feet to what I believed. I, I persecuted the church. He was there, church. When Stephen was martyred, when Stephen was killed, the very first martyr for the Christian faith, Paul was right there. He was watching the whole thing. He was an instigator in, in Stephen being martyred. He was right there, part of it. And then he says the ultimate statement that would have silenced everyone as the righteousness under the law, blameless. Can, can you say that about any area of your life? I'm, I'm blameless. Like, I'm trying to think a kid growing up, could I have looked at my relationship with my mom and dad and said, oh, I was blameless? No. Nope. Or my relationship with my wife. I guarantee if I stood here right now and said, 25 years of marriage, I've been blameless. She'd be right here going, no, no, let me tell you the truth, right? That's what she'd be doing. Let me tell you how it really is. We're not blameless. In your job, are you blameless? If, if you're a parent, as a mom or dad, are you bl blameless? This is what the rich young ruler said, Right? Remember when Jesus was talking with the rich young ruler? He said, I've kept all the commands. I'm blameless when it comes to the law. That's what Paul just said. 
Paul just said, I'm absolutely blameless when it comes upon the law. You can't find anyone on this planet who can hold anything about me when it comes to the law. And yet, here's what he realized. He realized that the standard of the law fell way short of God's holy standard. You know, that, that's why that rich young ruler walked away sad that day, isn't it? He realized that perfection to the law still fell way, way short of God's holy standard. And so Paul, this man who has been whipped, he has been beaten, he has been shipwrecked, he has been in prison, he says, you know, everyone looks at me and thinks I'm way up here. But I'm going to tell you, it's not about position of being up here or down there. It's not about your position. Look what he says. He says, but whatever gain I had... You should circle that word gain in your Bible. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I want you to circle gain because that's actually not a singular word. It's a plural word. And so what Paul is saying is whatever gains I had because I was born here, because I was the Hebrew of Hebrews here, because I was the Pharisee here. I had the right education here. Whatever school you think is the ultimate school, Paul went there, right? And so he's like, I've got all of this. And then when it came to my career path, well, I accomplished this and I amassed that and I had everything going for me. All the gains, he counted as singular loss. All the gains, he counted singular loss. I like how Charles Spurgeon said it. Spurgeon, writing about Paul right here, said, Paul is skilled in spiritual arithmetic. Spiritual arithmetic. This place where sometimes I think we think we have to let go of things one at a time. Paul's like, no, I didn't let go of all those things one at a time. I let go of it through the cross of Christ. I let go of it because it wasn't about my position. It was all about perspective. It wasn't about position. It was never about position. In fact, look what he says in verse 8. He said, all those gains, what did he do? He counted them as rubbish. Do you know how strong that word is in the Greek? That word rubbish, when I hear rubbish, I think trash, right? Like we're thinking about talking about the garbage. That's not what that word rubbish is. That word rubbish means excrement. Sunday morning, you just heard that word from the pulpit, right? It, it means human waste. It's, it's feces. And Paul is using here extremely strong language to try to communicate to us and make us hear what he's saying. Right? All of these gains, I want you to understand how worthless they are. But look where the value comes from. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found, look what he says, be found in him. Not having a righteousness on my own. Some of you need to hear this today. Because you have been living life like if I could only get the job, if I could only pray enough, if I could only get the, the right zip code or house, if I can get the 2.2 kids, if I can, whatever it is that you're trying to match, you're like, if I can get that, then I can have joy. Then I can have Thanksgiving in my life. Then maybe God will be happy with me. Like what Paul says, though, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Man, Paul makes this crystal clear, doesn't he? It's not position, it's perspective. It's not how high up you think you're climbing on this ladder. Paul is saying, I've had all of that. And I've been the lowest of the low. I have been beaten. I have been shipwrecked. I have been put in stocks in that prison, in the inner cells. Like, that's where I've been. 
And, and joy doesn't come from either place. That's, that's not what determines your joy in life. That's not what determines your thanksgiving in life. See, when you understand that it is in Christ, then and only then can you move ahead to Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4, which says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Friends, we want to live lives that are worthy of imitation. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Live lives worthy of imitation. These parents that stood up here in front of us just a, a little bit ago, it's one of the most powerful things they can teach their kids, isn't it? That your faith in Christ, that you're going to have a right standing with God. It's your faith in Christ that gives you that place of joy. It's your faith in Christ that leads you to that place of thanksgiving. Anything else... You're not going to be satisfied. It's one of the most powerful things that can be taught. Jesus taught it, didn't he? One of the most famous passages in all Scripture. I know you've heard the story so many times, but Jesus said one day there was this father. This father had two sons. And the father was wealthy. This is the paraphrased version. He said, you know, the father's wealthy. He had the house. He had land. He had servants. They had livestock. This family was wealthy. And yet even though those two sons, they had it all, right? They're up here. Everyone in the area would have looked at them and said, man, if I could only be like you, if I could save up enough wealth to, to be like you, or to have my own servants, if I, if I could get that, then I would have joy. Then I would be a hawk. You know, I'd be something then. This son was so unhappy though, right? And so he goes to his dad, dad, I want my inheritance now. I want my inheritance now because I think I can be better with the money than you are. I can buy this stuff. I can go live it. I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead, but give it to me now. So you know the story. The father gave him the inheritance. And the son went and he lived it up, didn't he? Oh, he had a good time. He ate the best food, stayed in the best places, like had a wonderful time until one day the money ran out. But pride didn't let him go back to dad's house yet, did it? When the money ran out, he wasn't like immediately that day, he's heading back to dad. Dad, I need some more money. Nope. He kept going where he was until one day he woke up with pigs and he realized this. Listen to the change in perspective. Even the servants of my dad's home, the servants have it better than this. I'm going to return home. Maybe he'll just let me be on the property. Maybe Maybe he'll just let me be there, maybe. So he gets up. And church, he's an ugly sight. He's smelly, stinky, humiliated. He's got nothing, nothing in his hands he can take to his dad. He just knows, I'm going to go back to my dad and ask, can I just stay on the property? Now, oftentimes when you hear this story, we listen from the perspective of the father, the perspective of the other brother. Sometimes we just kind of back away from the scene and watch it all play out. But I want you to hear the rest of the story through the eyes of the son. Can you do that? The eyes of the one who woke up with the pigs one day. So you look down at your feet and your shoes are tattered. They're a mess. You stink worse than anything you've ever smelled in your life. You look at your hands. They're filthy. They're disgusting. You, you've got nothing. And you start towards your dad. You start towards home. And you've been walking for who knows how long because you've been a long way off by this point. 
But yet as you get closer, you're like, oh, I recognize that tree. I recognize that fence. I kind of smell the fragrance of home. I'm getting closer. And then you stop because you look off in the distance how the road kind of curves around and goes up onto the hill. You see your dad's house. The Bible says that while, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. So the father was on the lookout for him. So you're there and you look out and all of a sudden you see this little bitty and you like realize that's your dad. And your dad's running at full speed toward you. What goes through your head? Because see, through my head, I think my dad's getting ready to come beat the fool out of me. I, I mean, that's just what I would have thought. Or I would have thought my dad's getting ready to come up to me, put his nose right in mine with his face red and say, boy, what do you think you're doing? You better get out of here before your mom sees because you have no idea what you've done to her. You get out of my sight. That's probably what I would have expected. I don't know what you would expect. So you're walking and your father's running and you just keep walking because your feet don't know what else to do at this point. You are so broken. You're so humiliated. You don't know where else to go. And so you think, even if my dad's going to yell at me, I probably deserve it, don't I? I'm at that place where I'm going, I've probably earned whatever is getting ready to come at me. And then you notice your dad is 30 yards and then 20 and then 10 and he's close enough now that you can see his face and there's a smile on his face and you're trying to process it all. There's a smile on his face and you can't even understand why he's smiling like this. And then he throws his arms out and the next thing you know, you are being embraced by your dad. He's lifting you in the air. He's spinning you around. He puts you down and you're just trying to think, why is my dad welcoming like this and you got this rope that's put on you and a servant's putting a ring on your hand and your dad says, we're going to have a party because you've come home. You're lost, but now you're found. That's where contentment comes from. That's where joy comes from. That's where a heart of thanksgiving comes from is when you realize who you are. It's not your place. It's not your position. It's your perspective. When you realize who you are and that salvation is found nowhere else but Christ Jesus. That's what changes everything. And maybe you've never done that. I just want you to know today, I want you to know the truth, that God loves you. And I don't care if you've tried to be the most perfect person on the planet and realized as much as I try to fly around up here, I, I can't sustain that. Right? That's not doing it. Or whether you're down here and you're like, yeah, my life's pretty smelly right now. I'm kind of a mess. I'm an absolute train wreck of a mess. Or if you're something in between, I want you to know God loves you right where you are. But see, the thing is, we've sinned. We've missed the mark of holy. Not following the rules. That's not what I mean. I mean holy. Measure your life. If you ask yourself that gut question, how are you doing in life? Do you answer based on how someone else is doing and how you compare? Or do you answer based on holy? Because the answer is against the backdrop of holy. And when you measure up, holy, how are you doing? The reality is none of us are doing very well. We've missed the mark of holy. Missed that mark of God's perfection. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Forever being separated from a holy and an awesome God. That's where God the Father said, I'm going to provide the way home for you. I'm going to provide the way for right standing. It's going to be through Jesus. Jesus came and did what you and I can't do. He lived that holy life. He lived that perfect life. And he was crucified. You see, it was on the cross that he paid for all of those sins. He paid that price once and for all. 
The Bible says that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're saved, that you're rescued in that moment. So my encouragement today is don't leave here without surrendering your life to Christ. Today is a perfect day to start your Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that it is by grace that we're saved through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. I know most in this room, Lord, we've, we've surrendered our lives to you already. We do call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High. But Lord, sometimes drift can happen, and we don't mean for it to, but I think sometimes we start to buy into this ridiculous chicken and hawk kind of a conversation. I think we start to buy into, if only I could, if only I had, if only I accomplished. Lord, I pray for a realignment of our lives this morning, that our satisfaction comes in Christ and Christ alone, that our identity is found in you, not in what we can accomplish, not in what we can do, not, not in the pedigree of our family. That our contentment, our place, our identity is in you. Lord, just continue to speak truth and realign our ways to your ways. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to know that you can do that right here, right now. And it's just that place of saying, I recognize, Lord, that you love me. That I've sinned. I'm not perfect. I've sinned. I've fallen short of perfection. But I believe that's why you sent Jesus. And Jesus, I'm placing my faith and my trust in you and my Lord and Savior today. Right here, right now, I'm making that right. So if you've never done that, I just want to give you the chance to pray with me and just say, Lord... I love you. Thank you for loving me first. Today, I don't want to be made better. I don't want to be made smarter. I want to be made new. But I want to be new. I want to be in Christ. So Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and my trust in the truth that you have conquered sin and death on the cross that you rose on the third day. Thank you for coming to rescue me. Thank you for coming to save me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If that was you, hey, don't leave here without telling us about it. Stop at the connection desk and talk to us. Fill out a communication card in your bulletin and, and turn it in. We want to talk to you about how to live out those next steps by faith in Christ. Let's stand as we close our morning and worship together.